people don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast from the OU Insider Studios. Here's your host, Brandon Drum. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a take three version of OU Insider Under the Visor podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm with Parker Thune, Colin Kennedy. This is the third time we've tried to do this, folks. So you guys don't know this that are listening to this podcast now, but we do. We've been through the game. Brandon is at war with big tech right now. (laughs) He is not about it. Oh, my gosh. All right. So. We we all know that Oklahoma is headed, or I'm not going to say headed. I don't want to get get too far here and say something that I shouldn't. We all know that Oklahoma is potentially headed to the SEC. All things look like it's going in that direction along with Texas. So this is the emergency podcast, guys. This is the third emergency podcast that we've tried to record on this. We're going to get this thing down this time. It's going to work. It's going to work. Um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about, folks. There's a ton of interesting backstories that's going on behind the scenes. Obviously, nothing can be done as far as the SEC talking to the Big 12 or anybody in the Big 12 as far as Oklahoma or Texas until the formal letter is sent out that Oklahoma and Texas is leaving the Big 12, which we expect to happen this coming week, potentially tomorrow on Monday. But we're going to dive into that later on in the podcast. We're also going to talk about our initial reactions to everything. We're going to talk about the TV contracts. We're going to talk about Texas A&M leaking it and what that means for, I guess, some disdain that's going on within the SEC and the stain that's going on between Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas A&M. And also, we're going to talk about what this means for Oklahoma, obviously, as far as the recruiting trail, as far as money goes, everything. We're going to cover the gambit, but we're only going to make this 30 to 45 minutes long. We're going to get all this information out to you all quick, and it's going to be a good time. So first off, let's go to Colin once again. We're going to talk about your initial reaction on Thursday. We tried to record it on Thursday. We recorded it. We gave our initial reaction. Obviously things have changed a lot has changed since then. We've just the, the amount of information that we've accrued <laughs> since Thursday is just, it's, it's baffling what's going on. I mean, uh, Oklahoma has come out. They, they've pretty much no showed a meeting. Um, they've done a lot of things since we recorded and and, uh, but what was your initial reaction to, the news when it broke and they, and I, I can't remember the guy's name for the Houston Chronicle that broke it. Does anybody remember his name off the top of their heads? No, I do not want to mispronounce his Thank last you. name, but his, his first, first name, name was Brett. Brett. First name was Brett. Brett. Last name. I just, 
I, I had it in front of me earlier, and I don't want to do him the disservice of mispronouncing it. Right. So. And so that's exactly why I asked if one of y'all knew. I knew it was Brett was the first name. But, uh, but anyways, Houston Chronicle broke the news. It was leaked out by Texas A&M. Colin, what was your initial reaction? It, it, obviously, a lot has changed. Our reaction that we had on Thursday is completely different than our reaction now. In, with certain things, not all things, but what is your what was your initial reaction on Thursday when that news broke? Well, I'll say a couple of things have changed, but now, especially since Thursday, I'm starting to wonder if Texas A&M is secretly operating Zoom behind the scenes. Discuss amongst yourselves, because again, attempt number three to record this reaction, but again, the reaction changes with the context that we've been provided now over the past couple of days, but at the time, Look, I mean, conference realignment has been a hot button topic now for a while. And obviously, Oklahoma and Texas, that's been something on those programs mind for a while. And so maybe the move to the SEC isn't as shocking. But I think at the time, what was more so shocking for me is the various reports you saw emerge where these discussions have basically been going on now behind the scenes without the Big 12 Conference office knowing for anywhere from six months to a year in some places that you read. And so, look, I'm excited about this personally. I think fans have every right to be excited about it. And I think these programs have every right to be excited about it because this is a game changer, man. I mean, you insert Oklahoma and Texas into an elite conference you immediately upgrade your revenue shares, your recruiting base, and obviously you get to go toe-to-toe with your direct competition in the upper echelon of college football. So this is a win-win for OU and Texas, and I would argue it's also a win for the SEC. Every single team's gonna make more money. This is going to add even more aura to the conference. Some might say it just means more. Well, we're gonna find it here pretty soon because once OU and Texas end up in the Southeastern Conference, this is going to be a wild turn of events and really going to reshape the world of college football as we know it. But right now, man, it's just been a blast to watch it all unfold. And hopefully we continue to receive news as these weeks go on. Are we shocked that the Big 12 is crumbling? We shouldn't be. I don't think anyone should be because... Look, if there was ever going to come a time, and look, there was going to come a time where realignment was going to happen. It's been a constant topic of conversation for the last five, six years, at least, ever since we got far enough away from the last round of realignment to realize, okay, this is not the solution that we thought it was going to be. Um, The reality is, when you look at the Big 12 in comparison to its Power 5 peers, it was the conference that was most likely to break apart into eight directionless fragments. Because the reality is that when you take a look at Oklahoma and Texas as programs and as brands, they are simply far superior to their eight peers in the Big 12 in terms of the revenue that they bring in, in terms of their prowess across all sports, not just football. And in terms of their appeal in the public eye, whether that is in the world of recruiting, uh, in the world of general news, whatever it may be, Oklahoma and Texas run the Big 12 in essence. And when you 
take into account the fact that that conference has suffered from, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to throw Bob Bullsby under the bus and say it's been poor leadership, but I will say at the very least, it has been apathetic leadership over the past few years, because I think the big 12 really shot itself in the foot by choosing not to expand a few years back when that was on the table uh, in front of the board of administrators. Uh, and, when you when you realize that the Big Twelve really revolves around Oklahoma and Texas, and that there was going to come a point in time at which Oklahoma and Texas realized that they were the cream of the crop in the Big Twelve and that there would be greener pastures elsewhere, it wasn't hard to predict that this divorce was going to come down the line. And you, you talk about replacing Oklahoma and Texas with programs the likes of Tulane or Memphis or Cincinnati or even Tulsa. There's nothing inherently wrong with those programs. They're good programs. They're competitive group of five programs, but they don't hold a candle to Oklahoma and Texas in terms of their prestige. And given that Oklahoma and Texas were going to find greener pastures at some point, the Big 12 was going to be left with a big question mark as to what its future was going to be. And based on the trajectory of the last week or so, uh, it seems pretty apparent that the trajectory of the big 12 uh, is headed nowhere fast. It appears for all the world, like the rest of the conference is just going to be split apart. The eight other teams will scatter where they may. And that will be the end of what we have historically come to regard the big 12 as. In the grand scheme of things, I think this is a great move for Oklahoma and Texas. I don't think there's really any doubt about that, given the magnitude of their brands and the amount of revenue uh, and recruiting acumen that they could bring to the table in addition to what they already have by moving from the Big 12 to the SEC. It just makes sense. If you have an offer on the table from the SEC and this is something that is feasible for your program it makes sense to proceed with it. So uh, I know there is a lot of, a lot of vitriol across the rest of the big 12 right now for Oklahoma and Texas, because the consensus opinion from those other eight programs, fan bases is they left the big 12 hung out to dry. And while that may be the case, you can't fault Joe Castiglione and Chris Del Conte for going their own way and doing what's best for the future of their athletic programs and helping the sec reestablish, I shouldn't say reestablish, but tighten the grip on its status as the top collegiate athletic conference in the nation. So it's a win for Oklahoma. It's a win for Texas. It's a win for the SEC. And I think in the end, it'll be a win for each of the other eight programs in the Big 12 that are going to have to find homes elsewhere. Now, I think it'll just take a few years uh, for those organizations and those fan bases to realize that the end of the Big 12 might not be the worst thing. Yeah, no, I agree again with everything you guys said, because look, my initial reaction was shocked. I was kind of befuddled a little bit. I, I I don't think I was befuddled on the grounds of, oh, my God, I can't believe the Big 12 was you know, breaking up. Because I think as Parker, you, you said, you know, it, I think we all saw that coming at some form or fashion before 2025 or at least around the 2025 year. Uh, but this early out of the blue, right before the kickoff of the 2021 season, I think the timing was more of the shock than anything else, along with, I think, the conference. Because I don't think we all thought the SEC would want to take. Now, 
let me let me rephrase that. They would be dumb to not want Oklahoma and Texas with the money that they can bring in because they're such superpowers. I mean, you're talking about two of the top six programs as far as revenue goes in all of college athletics on an annual basis. So I think on that round, yeah, I think that makes sense. But I think I didn't see Oklahoma being so aggressive in the manner in which they are trying to get into the SEC. And I think that's what was more shocking, the timing. And the fact that Oklahoma was kind of, they're kind of leading this thing. It was, they're kind of been, they've been the program that's been more aggressive about this than Texas. So I think that's been kind of the, the shocking part for me on Thursday, at least. Now, the more you start to listen to this, you start to hear and you start to understand Oklahoma's mindset through all this. And I think it makes a lot more sense. And that stuff we'll dive into as the podcast goes, but I love the move. I mean, uh, on a personal and selfish aspect, man, we get to go freaking cover games in Tuscaloosa and Athens and Gainesville uh, in Death Valley and Baton Rouge. I mean, we get to go back to where, you know, such good crowds were at in College Station at Kyle Field. You get to to go to places that we've never been before as far as covering a game and that's South Carolina. Um, and you know, you can make vacations of this, like on a, on a, on a selfish aspect, this is awesome, but it is very much kind of, (laughs) it's still shocking. I don't think you can get away from the shocking aspect of it because Oklahoma and Texas and the sec, it has a ring to it. It sounds great but it still sounds odd because the big 12 has been such a fabric of our lives growing up. I mean, it started in what? 96, correct. And that's 25 years. I'm 37. So from the time I was 12 till now, that is what, that's all I've known is the big 12 for you guys. It's virtually your whole lives or your whole lives. I would assume. Right. I mean, 96 right here. Yeah, yeah for me, life. nothing will ever, nothing will ever compare to the original Big Twelve. But I get yeah, the early two thousands days, and the early I have to part from it. Yeah, early two thousand from nineteen ninety six to about two thousand ten, the Big Twelve was it was it was unbelievable. It was arguably the best conference in college football. They got lackadaisical within their mindset of how they thought college football was going. They wanted to keep the traditional trend of it. And the SEC became aggressive and overtook them. But for the longest time, the Big 12, I mean, remember ESPN was all over the Big 12 because it had such a, especially the Big 12 South. I mean, that was a power. That 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 was the original SEC West was the Big 12 South. Well, I mean, think it about was it. Powerful. Over the trajectory of the 15-year duration that we had the original Big 12, which of those schools weren't national championship contenders at some point? You got Baylor, Texas A&M, Iowa State. That's pretty much it. Everybody else was a top five team at one point, at the very least, I want to say. Can you think of an exception? Because even Kansas under Mangino, they got to vote as national champions after the 2007 season. No, I, yeah, it, that's that's this whole thing is... I'm trying to think how it's just, 
it's sad. It, you know, there, there's some some ambiance that's going to be lost. You know, it, it's it, it almost has me. And I was you know I was joking to a neighbor uh, who's from Kansas and a big Kansas Jayhawk fan. The other day we were out drinking a few with the kids. You know, playing in the front yard and stuff like that. And I might have been tipping a few cold ones back and talking to each other and. I turned to him and I said, you know, I'm going to fight to be able to cover the last, you know, Allen Fieldhouse game that Oklahoma goes in basketball because I've never gotten to do that yet. I've been to a game, but I've never gotten to cover a game there. And the atmosphere is just something that you, I, Rupp Arena is probably the best you're going to get in the SEC as far as that when basketball but there's gonna be things that you're gonna, we're losing in the Big Twelve that you know you can't replace, especially with memories and stuff like that. So uh, it, there's a lot of sadness. I don't know for you all. I, I, for me, there's some sadness in this, but there's excitement as well. I think there's a lot of excitement, especially with what's what could be to come. Is you know where college football's headed, where college basketball's headed. You know you got the twelve team playoff potentially more than likely coming down the road the next few years in college football, which makes for this move to the SEC more viable because you can lose two or three games and still get into the playoffs. If you're in the SEC and you lose those that many games, if you have the OU logo on the side of your helmet, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on. Um, so I guess let's talk about how it came about since we talked about a reaction. Let's talk about, how it came about, <laughs> you know, we had a really good podcast that was gone that had some pretty candid things that Parker, Colin, and myself said more particularly Parker and myself uh, <laughs> decided to come out with some uh, things that we said in regards to our reaction to Texas A&M and, you know, Colin kind of egged it on a little bit with, the comment of, are you shocked that A&M is the team that did this? Are you all shocked with how they're reacting? Which is so true. I mean, if anybody's expected to act that way, it would be Texas A&M. They did that when they were in the Big 12. Nah, nobody's shocked. Um, but they leaked it. Obviously, it's come out. and I mean, it hasn't. nobody's really confirmed it. But I think it's well known at this point that A&M, they're not even denying that they leaked it at all. Like there's no denial. They're like, hell yes, we did. And so, um, they leaked it. What was your initial reaction when y'all found that out? Colin, we'll start with you because I know Parker's going to have some pretty cool things to say about that. Yeah. I mean, look, like it shouldn't shock anybody that the Houston Chronicle reporter who exactly. shares this report is the Texas A&M beat writer for the newspaper. So there's that. But look, this was a last-ditch effort by Texas A&M to essentially get in front of this thing, try and see it blow up in front of the face of the media. But instead, all it did was create national buzz and everyone in reaction trying to see this thing through, which obviously A&M doesn't anticipate. But when you're trying to figure out any way to keep two of your all-time foes out of your new conference, you're going to try and at least see something in terms of throwing a match into what could be a massive fire. And so for me, I understand why Texas A&M did something like this, because like I said a couple of podcasts ago when we tried to record this, 
Texas A&M has gone through a remarkable culture change. I mean, when Texas A&M was in the Big 12, it was a struggle to consistently deal with both Texas and Oklahoma, recruiting against them, playing them on the field. And obviously there was a clear revenue gap there. But since the transition to the SEC, whether you want to admit it or not, Texas A&M has established itself as a very viable program, not just in this region, but nationally. And obviously that has to do with a lot with what Jimbo Fisher has done, with even what Kevin Sumlin did to a degree in the Johnny Manziel era. The Aggies have built a new branding in College Station, but that branding, it takes an immediate hit, whether you want to admit it or not the moment that Oklahoma and Texas are seated right next to you at the table. And so for me, I'm very interested in all this. I I thought it was my favorite aspect of all this because for me growing up in the state of Texas, like I just was used to seeing Texas and Texas A&M play each other on Thanksgiving and UT typically won. And that was just how your Thanksgiving went outside of watching the Dallas Cowboys. But now I think that if you put these three teams in the same conference, In the immediate future, there's probably a little bit more of an even talent gap. But over the course of a few seasons, I think Texas A&M knows what we all know in the back of our minds. Eventually, Oklahoma and Texas will be able to capitalize 100% on that SEC branding on that jersey. And eventually, not only will they fully meet Texas A&M on whatever level you perceive them to be, but... I don't think that a passing of A&M is out of the question the moment these two teams enter the conference. And so I, I at least tip my cap for the effort by Texas A&M. But at the same time, I think we all understand subconsciously why it was done and the inevitable impact that OU and Texas would have on A&M as a program if they're all in the Southeastern Conference together once again. Daddy's home. Aggies. <laughs> that is what I will say. And in your case, daddy comes in the form of a one, two hook and uppercut to the chin called the Sooners and the Longhorns. Because let me tell you, and you hit the nail on the head, Colin, in moving to the SEC, Texas A&M established a brand for itself. There is a reason why the Aggies, a perennial non-factor in the big 12, suddenly upon their move to the sec became a nationally relevant football program. And here's what I will say. If that is what Texas A&M was able to accomplish by virtue of a simple jump from the big 12 to the sec, how much more significant is the rise going to be for Oklahoma and Texas two college football blue bloods who don't need to jump conferences to retain their status as two of the most storied and fabled and historically successful programs in college football. How much more of an impact is the move to the SEC going to have for those two programs than it did for yours? That's the reality that we're dealing with. As soon as Oklahoma and Texas set foot in the SEC, A&M, you're playing third fiddle again. You're not even playing second fiddle. You are third fiddle to Oklahoma and Texas. You are no longer the best. Well, shoot, I, I shouldn't even call them the best SEC pro- program in the central time zone, but you're no longer even the best SEC program west of Louisiana at that point. Oklahoma and Texas, whereupon they join the big or uh, join the SEC rather from the Big 12, 
they're going to put Texas A&M right back in their place, and you can count on that. And that is the reason why the Aggies are so vehemently opposed to Oklahoma and Texas join the conference when it has become increasingly apparent that no one else is. There's a reason why the only detractors here are the Aggies. It's because they all know what's coming once Oklahoma and Texas are in their conference and potentially in their division. That's a huge hit in terms of the strength of their brand, their recruiting pitch. There is so much that they lose by being in the same conference as two regional powerhouses like Oklahoma and Texas. And so I get it. I get it. But at the end of the day, look, there's nothing you can do about it. Oklahoma and Texas are coming one way or another. And you can put up this futile fight for as long as you want to. But at the end of the day, this is something that you may have to deal with sooner rather than later because unintended, unintended. Yes. I find myself using that expression a lot and I realize I can't really use it anymore without the double entendre, but regardless, (laughs) regardless, Oklahoma and Texas are going to be SEC programs one of these days, whether that happens in 2023, 2025, or 2030, for that matter. It's coming, so prepare yourself for it. Really, Brandon, you think it's happening that soon? I wouldn't. I, I, I won't throw it out. I mean, I got told. I, we'll get into that later. I got to talk to somebody tonight. I, we'll get into that later. We'll get into that. Got you. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your, finish your thing. No, that was it. I'm oh, done. Okay, well, so... So I just add something here real quick too. Go, I mean, go like, for it. Kind of going off of it. And look, I'm going to, again, take the realist approach. I mean, look, I, I kind of go by the term of striking lightning, right? You've got you to catch lightning in a bottle. And, and don't get me wrong, like Oklahoma's been there before. Hiring Bob Stoops, that was, well, that was catching lightning in a bottle in terms yeah, of was. reinventing the program and getting Oklahoma back to what it needed to be. Because before that, yikes. And obviously, Texas A&M has been there before, right? And then, I mean, just the SEC branding alone, I'm not going to say it all does it for you. Texas A&M caught lightning in a bottle with Johnny Manziel. And then with that SEC branding, reinvented itself and now became what it is today. The problem, though, and that's, again, I think it's important to contextualize this when you're talking about Oklahoma and Texas with Texas A&M is the moment those two teams join you, considering the regional base you're in, how you go about your recruiting process and what you need to pitch. It is going to be so much harder for Texas A&M to catch that lightning in a bottle. Now that they're unable to create that separation that's been there now for what, 10 years. And so I think that's important for people to keep in mind is it like college football is really a game of timing and OU Texas, Texas A&M all in different portions of their process. But the moment that OU and Texas join AM in that conference, it speeds up a whole lot more for two of them, and I would argue not the other. And so that's why I understand why Texas AM is frustrated to a degree. And it's going to be really hard in the long run for AM, whether or not OU and Texas are in the conference in 25 or 22, because even if they don't join until 25, OU and Texas are going to still have that recruiting pitch. And the next thing you know, whether you're lining it up yeah. today, or you're lining up for three or four years, there's a pretty good chance OU and Texas look just as good, if not better than you, when you line it up with them on the line of scrimmage. 
Well, okay. So you, you took a lot of where I was going with, with what I was about to say, Colin, but that's fine because what you said is, is spot on because I was going to say it. So I think it was spot on. Uh, (laughs) Great minds, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, So uh, let me start with this, with the whole Texanium thing. Look from two. so, So let me check this from 1999 to about 2011. What, what was the word I used on the first podcast? So we need to go down that road again. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was Zoom's indication you shouldn't run it back yes, on that. Yes, maybe that was maybe yeah. What we'll just say I I said that from 19 and I'm not going to say the word from 1999 to 2011 Texas A&M was for all its purposes considered OU in Texas is what was that? It was it rhymes with itch. So um, little brother, little brother, little brother would be lower yeah, tier, whatever you want yeah, to call it. Lower tier, whatever the cleaner version you want to call it. But that and that's fact. That's fact. You can go back. You can look at the games. You can look how they turned out. I, I mean, how many? ass kickings in how many times did Oklahoma score in the forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies against Texas A&M from that, from that time period. As a matter of fact, let's go 1999 when Texas A&M came in highly ranked. I think they were ranked sixth, something to that extent came to Norman. I think they, they blasted them like 55 to 19 or something like that. Something stupid. I know I went to the game um, and my dad took me, my brother, and one of my friends to the game, uh, and we sent our season tickets. And basically, he, my dad, going into the game, gave us this whole spiel of how A and M was going to kill Oklahoma, was going to do this in Oklahoma, and Bob Stoops and, and Mike Lee. That was kind of the 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 game where everybody's eyes kind of, you know, their, their eyebrows kind of raised and went, Whoa, this Mike Leach thing is going to work really well in the big 12. And it, it, it spurred on this whole thing. Oklahoma started winning. They ended up going seven to five that year. But that from that point on, Oklahoma kind of owned Texas A&M. And when Texas A&M beat Oklahoma, it was a big deal because they weren't expected to. 1999 was the last time Oklahoma was expected to sincerely lose to Texas A&M. That's how quickly the programs flipped real quick. And you have to remember before that Oklahoma was awful before Bob Stoops showed up, as you talked about Colin, it was bad. And so you kind of have a feeling that history might repeat itself, right? with this whole move. And that's where I'm getting to. Now, I will say this. Texas A&M is in, in, and you know what? And this is the weird part about this whole deal. Like publicly, they give this, this aura of confidence, you know, Jimbo Fisher coming out saying, oh, I bet they would love to join the SEC and all that stuff. And granted, Jimbo has Texas A&M in a better spot than they could have ever dreamed of. Uh, as far as where the program's at. And that's why I don't, I don't foresee it being like it was when both program, all three programs were in the same conference in the big 12. 
do I think both do I think Oklahoma and Texas will overtake Texas A and M? Well, OU already still our, OU is a better program right now. I mean, they're 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 probably the number they're arguably the number two or number three program in the SEC right now. But I think we'd all agree with that, right? Yeah. Would you all agree with that? Yes. Okay. Cool. Just want to make sure I'm not crazy here. Um, so, and I think that stays, but the, the, the deal is, and I think to your, your point, Colin, Texas and Texas A&M is where the battle is going to be. It's going to be a battle to see who's going to be the fourth or fifth best program in the sec behind Georgia on a regular basis. Now, Florida is going to be, have something to say about that. LSU is going to have something to say about that, but I think you're going to have those three programs are notoriously Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma are notoriously going to be one, two, three in, in, in a variety of, they're never going to be chronologically the same every year. I don't think, I don't think Alabama is going to be the best team every year. I don't think Oklahoma is going to be the best team. I don't think Georgia, I think they're going to flip flop a lot, but they're, they're consistently going to be one, two, three. So we know that's good. We know that going into this, it's where, where it is four through seven. You know, I think that's where the battle is going to be. And that's where you're going to see where Texas is going to come in and they're going to have something to say four through seven. And that's not a bad thing because four through seven, you're vying for playoff spots if you're in the SEC and there's a 12-team playoff. Wow. You're vying for playoff spots. So uh, I think that's where Texas a is worried about, and they have every right to be worried about it because history has shown that they struggle as a program whenever they're in the same conference as Texas or Oklahoma because they compete for the same recruits. As you said, that identity and even, you know, Bjork came out there and said, hey, we had an identity. We left the Big 12 because we wanted to be – by ourselves, have the SEC logo by ourselves. Well, that's not going to happen anymore. So what is that going to do to the recruiting? Well, it evens the playing field, number one. And as good as Oklahoma and Texas recruit while they're in the Big 12, you know, common sense kind of tells you Texas and M's in a world of hurt when it comes to that. Like, they're going to struggle. And not now, I don't think they're going to be Dennis Francione bad. I think they're going to be more RC Slocum level where they're going to be eight, nine, 10, 11 wins every year. You're never going to see the six, five, six, seven win seasons. I don't think under Jimbo, I can't see it. I don't know about you all. I think he's such a good coach and I think he has that program on such solid ground that they're going to be vying for playoff spots still. I just don't think they're going to be vying for that top tier in the SEC like they are right now. I think that's where that's where it changes. And I think the one thing, the last thing I want to say real quick, and you were talking about the other programs that aren't wanting to come in and they don't have an issue with Oklahoma and Texas. Well, Arkansas is going to get the rival back, rivalry back with Texas, mm-hmm. right? And I think the cool part about this is, and I think it's a rivalry that should have been had 100 years ago, and it's OU-Arkansas. Those two should have been a rivalry for years. Now this can happen. And don't tell me that's not going to be awesome because the move for Oklahoma and Texas into the SEC is going to help Arkansas because now they're going to be playing in the state of Oklahoma. They recruit the state of Oklahoma heavily already. They're going to be a problem for Oklahoma State now. 
major problem. Instead of Oklahoma State getting who OU doesn't want, Arkansas is going to be getting a lot of those guys now. And I think you're going to see them go in and take some from Texas Tech and Baylor and TCU and SMU and all those schools and Arkansas now like they used to when they were in the Southwest Conference. This is big for Arkansas. This is great for Arkansas. You know, they've got to be dancing in the street. Now, some of the fans are going to be mad because they don't like Texas and they don't like Oklahoma, but they need to pull their heads out their asses because that's, this is big. This is big for them as far as on the recruiting trail and building a program. And you bring up a really, you bring up a really good point, Brandon, in that this hurts Oklahoma state a lot, especially with regard to recruiting and state because and you kind of, you danced around it there, but I just want to emphasize it's a pretty popular sentiment among kids in the state of Oklahoma that don't get recruited by the Sooners that, Hey, I'm going to go somewhere where I can show OU that they should have recruited yes. me. Traditionally, yep. that has been Oklahoma state. If Oklahoma state's no longer in the same conference as Oklahoma, that becomes Arkansas. Correct. So there you no. go. Yep. It, well, now, okay, so the Oklahoma State thing's been addressed. Let me go to Texas A&M, Texas, real quick, because I thought it was a fascinating discussion that you brought up. I'll defend them, of course. Let me defend it like this. <laughs> that 100,000-plus stadium, that, that's not going anywhere, okay? Nope. Those facilities they got down there in College Station, those aren't going anywhere. Nope. They're getting more money yep. with this move. That regional tie to the Houston recruiting base, I don't think it's going anywhere still. So let's not kid ourselves here for a second and say that Texas A&M is going to slip all the way down in the conference because all the stuff that they've had going for them over the past couple of years, it's not changing. Thank you. That's my point. That's my point. What are they worried about then? That's to me what makes this fascinating because – if anything, this is going to make these battles between these three programs just that much more entertaining because now we're talking about three programs who have constantly gone up against each other in this triangular battle in one similar recruiting base, constantly forced to prove it on the field. And I go back to the argument that I made. College football is about catching lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You want to talk about Texas A&M in Oklahoma, Texas still hasn't caught it. I mean, nope. let's just be honest. As much as I will defend that program as well, Texas A&M it has caught it. Oklahoma has caught it. Texas is still looking for it. Now, they hope that they have with a hire of Steve Sarkeesian and mm-hmm. some of the recruiting moves that they've made. But then you have to circle back to the other side of this argument, and that's where Texas comes in. It's easier to catch lightning in a bottle when you get the SEC branding on your chest. And yeah. I think that's what really should make Texas A&M sweat because right now there's clear separation. Don't get me wrong. From a cultural standpoint, A&M's in a much better position right now than UT, but UT is on the climb as we speak. And now that you insert them into the Southeastern conference and you get to see that program play, not just Oklahoma every year, but Texas A&M that easily elevates the Longhorns faster than it does anything for Texas A&M, if we're being honest. And I think that's obviously why you have to keep this in the back of your mind. A&M doesn't want to see that. They don't want any part of that because they've been going back and forth, honestly, with Oklahoma right now, and that's a league that they're batting above. You know, I mean, if we're just being honest right now, I think that's what you really have to think about when we talk about Texas A&M and Texas and Oklahoma. Again, it's going to be fascinating to see how this shapes these three programs in the coming years. And you mentioned it, 
when you insert them into the context of the SEC, I think it's no question that OU is battling Alabama and Georgia in terms of one, two, three. But then you're talking about LSU, Texas, Texas A&M, Florida, Auburn, and that group right now is jumbled. But I would argue that Texas, with the Southeastern Conference branding, is a much more viable monster than what we've seen from Texas A&M to this point. And I think Texas A&M knows that. I think we all know that. I think we're all excited to see how it shapes up the moment the Longhorns and Sooners step into the conference. So, you know, what you talked about the Houston recruiting and it not going anywhere. And that was kind of what I was getting at. I don't foresee A&M dropping off a lot. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to be hard for them to sustain where they're at now because, you know, they're not on an island by themselves in this region being the only SEC team and having that, that, you know, to, to use as kind of a linchpin for themselves on the recruiting trail. Here's, here's where I think A&M has differed themselves over the years than Texas and where they're, why they're going to be able to still sustain the success that they struggled to sustain when they were in the big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma. And that is, Go look at their recruiting classes the last three years. Mm-hmm. They recruit Texas. They don't rely on the state of Texas. They recruit nationally. They're all I mean, New Jersey, Maryland, Florida. California, Florida. Uh, but so I think there was North Carolina, South Carolina. I mean, they were all over the place as far as where they were landing kids and recruits. Whereas Texas still has this, and even under Sark, you're seeing it. They're trying to branch out, but they're playing catch-up. Texas playing catch-up with Texas A&M and Oklahoma as far as being a national recruiting brand. They're a national brand, but they don't have the relationships. And every, you know, we all three of us know this. Brands be damned. You can have the greatest brand in the world. If you don't have relationships outside your little confined region, you're going to struggle on the recruiting trail when you get outside, you know, your little comfort zone. You've got to have relationships and have built relationships. And that's something that Texas is trying to do. They've struggled at it because for so long, and this dates back to Mac Brown and probably before him, they relied so much on just being, well, we recruit Texas kids, Texas kids play for Texas. You can't do that anymore. You just can't. Because programs like Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, they're not in small conferences anymore. They're in the conference with you. They can recruit. They have the same recruiting pitch as you have other than you're the flagship school of the state of Texas. Outside of that, it's the same. It's the same. And especially since they've won more than you lately, it's not easy. Now you're going to go into the SEC you're going to allow more teams into the state of Texas from the SEC to come recruit because they're going to play more games there. Now it's only going to be two, two games total, but that's more than one, which makes it easier to recruit those Texas kids. They've got to learn how to recruit outside this region. They've got to continue to spread their wings because if they don't, that's where I think Texas might slip up. They've got to continue to try to get into California, to get into Florida, 
to get into Georgia, to get up in Ohio and Tennessee and stuff like that. Things that Oklahoma and Texas A&M have been doing for the last decade. And, and I and think that's where, go ahead. That's the, that's the big portion of my argument is this opens the door for Texas that yeah. we don't know what the other side looks like, which I think A&M knows because as you mentioned, A&M has been so good now at recruiting, not just Houston, East Texas, but Florida, Louisiana, Georgia. I mean, the moment that UT can capitalize on some of that same recruiting brand and region and also utilize the ties that it has to the West Coast. I mean, look, we're not going to sit here and kid ourselves. UT's been pretty solid in terms of the recruiting rankings. But again, the more relationships you have across the country, the easier it is to go get whoever you want to then boost your recruiting rankings even further. That's what Texas A&M has been able to do. That is what Texas is going to be able to do here very soon. And once we figure out just the impact that it will have on UT as a program, then we'll find figure out just the consequences that it has on Texas A&M as a direct competitor within the same conference. Absolutely. Uh, look, this this whole thing, <laughs> it's just, there's so many different things that we can sit here and talk about because there's so many questions that we have because there's so many unknowns right now. Like what we do know is that it's almost guaranteed at this point that Oklahoma and Texas are going to be the SEC. I mean, the, what they've done is pretty much as you put the other day, what would you, what did you call it? They gave what they gave the middle finger to the, to the rest on the of the window of the meeting room floor, flipped two birds and went to the parking lot. They're, they're, <laughs> There you go. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So they're out. Uh, they're 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 fed up with everything. And you know, I talked to a guy yesterday, and I talked to a guy tonight uh, via text and a little bit through over the phone uh, today. And you know, one thing I got with all this, and I think it's an interesting topic to talk about honestly, is Oklahoma hasn't been, they're making money, but they're not making the money off tickets like they once were because the matchups aren't as good. And it seems like the matchups get worse and worse as far as home games go. Now, granted, OU, when they go to Baylor and they go to Oklahoma State and they go to Kansas, Kansas State, they bring in a horde of a big crowd, they big, they sold out because it's OU. The reverse doesn't happen when you get K State, Kansas, Baylor. You know that doesn't really sell tickets. Now Iowa State is starting to sell tickets because of what they've been the last three or four years. They've been very good, and they're obviously one of the top ten teams in the country. So when they come to Norman, that matchup is going to be massive this year. Outside of that, in the Nebraska game the home schedule for Oklahoma since the big 12 is dwindled down to 10 teams has gotten worse and worse and worse. So they've been having to go out and be creative and bring in some programs that like Ohio state and Tennessee and Nebraska. And uh, I'm probably, you know, watching, uh, you know, teams that, you know, they may not have played back in the day because of the big 12 schedule being so fierce. Well, 
it's not going to get any better because the Big 12 is like sitting and just sitting around waiting on things to happen instead of reacting. And I think Oklahoma and Texas see that, particularly Oklahoma from somebody I talked to today. And I think that that is something that, you know, in 2025, you're not going to see the revenue stream from television continue to go up for the Big 12 like it is in the SEC. You're not going to see the ticket prices continue to go up like it is in the SEC. Because the matchups just don't they don't strike a the passion or excitement in the OU fan base right now. So I think that's another thing. This isn't just you know those damn eleven a.m. kickoffs. You know it, it, it's that's part of it. That's part of it. And OU's tired of being Fox's little guinea pig. And you're gonna go play here, and this is the time you're gonna play because you're the big name on our schedule. They're fed up with that, but they're also fed up with not being able to make the money to help build facilities, to help do the things that they need to do uh, just to make things better within not just the football program, but the athletic department as a whole. I don't know. I, I was told that and that, that just kind of, kind of blew my mind, you know, that, OU is that upset about all that stuff and they couldn't see the future looking any better no matter what the Big 12 does at this point. What's, what's y'all's thoughts on that? Well, look, like put it into – really put it into perspective when you look at the prestige of this conference. I, I, I thought it was a really interesting tweet put out by one of my guys, Tyler McComas, over at Sports Talk 1400. Think about this for a second. Like, OU's leaving a conference where only one other team has a stadium with a capacity of more than 61,000. And by joining the Southeastern Conference, OU at 86,000 plus would be ranking ninth in capacity. And I know what you're saying at home. Well, that's other people's stadiums. But yeah, that points to the prestige of the program that you're typically playing, which then takes me to one of our guy, Joey Homer's tweets. And this is just crazy. I mean, you're thinking, you're talking about the matchups and the revenue that's going to be made off of this. OU has apparently never hosted Auburn, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, or South Carolina, and none of those seven have ever hosted Oklahoma. Those matchups, the moment that they take place, are going to not just be must-see TV, but they will be full houses. And right now, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, the topic of discussion in terms of actually attending games these days is a widespread conversation across multiple sports. People want to see faces in seats, not people watching the television screen, because that's obviously going to make you plenty of cash. Oklahoma, by making this transition, is going to feature matchups that have never been seen before, will be routinely top 10 matchups nationally, right in Norman, Oklahoma, and everyone's going to want the ticket to be in that stadium when it takes place. And as a result, I mean, you're going to see this athletic program be elevated to a whole new level, not just because of the record-breaking deal that was struck with the SEC by ESPN to take over its rights from CBS, where, again, we're talking about it, each program's going to make, what, $75 annually with this new deal? Just the money that will be made on some of these rare – and prestigious matchups alone is enough to make Oklahoma want to leave and join a program that makes you 
a far more interesting matchup week in and week out. And I, I don't I don't mean that as a slight against the Big 12, because, again, I think we would all agree we have appreciated what Big 12 football is for years. I've thoroughly enjoyed covering this conference and the teams within it. But there's just something about being a program, again, that has 86,000 seats, that type of prestige, that type of capacity, and you're ninth, ninth overall. Like that just speaks to the level of football that Oklahoma will soon be playing. And I think it should speak to you in terms of how much they're going to benefit from it the moment that these stadiums start filling up with OU versus X high profile school. Couple things to add here. One, I am really going to miss that SEC on CBS theme song. Mm. Soundtrack of my Saturday every fall for the last 15 years. But um, no, on a real note, I think the other thing that we need to be mindful of here, and maybe it's obvious, but it's almost so obvious that it's been understated and you touched on it, Colin, the quality of football on a weekly basis and the quality of competition is just going to be so far superior in the sec than it is in the big 12. And it's you, it really puts it into context when you consider the fact that as long as Lincoln Riley has been at Oklahoma, which is dating back to 2015, from 2015 through the end of the 2020 season, only three big 12 teams, Iowa state, Kansas state, Texas have beaten Oklahoma at all three teams. Like that's how dominant Oklahoma has been in this conference over the past six seasons during Lincoln Riley's tenure. And it's just like, and we can talk to we're blue in the face about it, but there's just so much more interest in sec football because there's so much more competition in sec football and yes alabama on the whole runs college football over the last decade and a half and we can acknowledge that but auburn has made a run to the national championship lsu's made a run to the national championship mississippi state and ole miss were one two in the very first college football playoff poll back in 2014 georgia and florida obviously elite programs year after year so There are so many teams across the SEC that can provide competitive football. We are no longer going to have conference games that end up with final scores of 62 to nine, right? And maybe some fans love those games. Maybe you love watching Oklahoma wail on an inferior opponent. For my money, I'd much rather like to see a game go down to the wire with a historic program, the likes of Tennessee or LSU or Georgia. It's just that gets me going on a Saturday more so than watching the Sooners blow out a Kansas or an Oklahoma state. I mean, if you are a fan of that game, Vanderbilt might be for you. You know what I mean? Don't forget about the old Commodores, (laughs) but I guess Parker to some of his argument, it just means more. Right. So I'll say this. Look, it just means more Paul just means more. Exactly. And look, the other part of this too, like to defend the big 12 again, I think because you touched on it, Parker, the quality level of football is definitely an upgrade. here. Look, I think the level of coaching within the big 12 conference is as strong as you'll find across football. I think the coaches in this conference right now are incredibly good at what they do. The problem is the recruiting base that they can go out and get isn't nearly as strong as what's out there in the Southeast. And whether you want to admit it or not, It's just true to the case. And it plays out on the field every single year. 
you see it in the NFL draft, all those high profile guys from out there in the SEC, they go play on Sundays. And Oklahoma wants to be a part of that. Well, you see it with Oklahoma. You see, and I'm not sure I'm for interrupting there real quick, but you see. You're right. Go ahead. Go. You see it with Oklahoma because look, in the Big 12, Oklahoma is the one school that has kids from Florida, Georgia, uh, what, the DC area, Missouri, uh, yeah, Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, and refresh my memory. How many times have they won the Big 12 in a row? It's a lot. They are six and they've won 14. They've won 14 of the last 20. Yep. So, I mean, like, hmm. But go ahead. Go ahead. I was just trying to prove your point a little more. Go ahead. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's the thing is, again, I think that's really important to remember is it's just not fun winning it every single time with ease. I mean, and, and to speak to your schedule point earlier, Drew, I'm like, I think the, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're talking about Oklahoma as a national championship contender this year, just because their schedule is pretty much a cakewalk right now. I mean, on paper. Yeah. Well, well that's fact. What I mean, what what do they really have to fear outside Western of Western Carolina? Yeah, like Tulane to open the year might be a little tricky offensive system, but other than that, I mean, I think we all kind of know what Nebraska is going to be, so on and so forth, right? At some point, man, you you want those headliner matchups, whether you're winning them or not, because it's way more fun for everyone involved and it gets you a lot of dollars and cents afterwards. And so I think we all know that, but it's just something to keep in mind. Here's the funny thing you're going to see is, you know, once all this in the next by by the middle of August, when all this is settled and you know that it's official, they're going, they just don't know you know, the, the exact timeline that is going to go down, whether it's, it, then we'll get into the timeline here in just a bit, but you're going to start seeing the narrative kind of flip where, you know, <laughs> well, that Oklahoma team plays defense because they're preparing themselves for the SEC. You know, the, the, the whole narrative, OU doesn't play defense. That's gone. Now you're going to hear everybody, how great their defense is. Nobody wanted to believe all off season how good this defense could be. They're going to go out and torch everybody this year. And then be like, see, it's because they're headed to the sec. That's why it's because they've got the sec mindset. Now, you know it. And you know, that narrative is going to change. It's going to happen. Some idiots going to say something like that. And other people are going to buy it and run with it because, and it's probably going to be Paul Feinbaum. And it's just, it's going it, to, it, but that's, it, it's fact. I mean, they're going to say, and then if Oklahoma loses, well, they're just not, they're not going to be able to handle themselves in the SEC. They lost a, a top 10 Iowa State team. How could they lose to a top 10 Iowa State team and be good enough for the SEC? Probably because they're in the top 10. I don't know. I mean, like, but, but you know, these narratives are going to go back and forth, back and forth until they're officially in and they actually play games in the sec. It's going to be, well, they can't do this or they did this because of the sec, even though they're not in the sec, we all know the narrative is going to be there. And we know that the sec programs are going to start cheering for Oklahoma because that's what they do. They cheer for each other as long as they're not playing each other, which is another totally different topic on how long do you think it is until the OU fans actually buy into the SEC chant? Number one, number wow. two, 
I know, right? I I can't. Start. I don't even know if I want to get into that one. <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a good topic to talk about. I know. But number two, how how long until people start buying into Oklahoma as SEC caliber? Because I think it's going to be the second the pin hits the paper, all the SEC teams are going to go. Oh well, see, they're SEC caliber. That's why they win the the Big Twelve all the time. I think that's the key. Is the moment that this deal is finalized and. Obviously, we have to get into the nitty-gritty right now, so we'll get yeah. into that. But for me, I mean, I'll say this. The recognition of just how competitive Oklahoma has actually been in terms of the national context will be immediately recognized the moment that they get that SEC logo. Yep. It's just how it goes. And everybody's going to go, see, that's why they played the SEC team so close outside of LSU in, in the national title games and the playoffs. That's why. That's why. Because they were always an SEC caliber team. They just weren't in the SEC. It's just going to change. It was they weren't good enough, and now it's going to be they played them so close. They played Georgia in the double overtime. They came back against Alabama and scared them in the second half because they were SEC caliber. That's why. Nothing else. Say what you want about OU or Texas, whoever fan base you are, but if we're being honest, both those programs have never been ones to shy away from SEC competition. They have not. It is what it is. I mean, I'm sure people will find out here pretty soon just how eager each program is to compete at that level of ball and help. Texas is going to be chomping at the bit to get one specific SEC matchup that Mm -hmm. they've been looking forward to seeing on the schedule for a while. Which one is that? Oh, you know, it's the one with South Carolina. Yeah, they're looking forward to that one. No, I mean because because if it, you, if you're talking about A and M, are they aren't they the ones that? Yeah, but aren't they the ones that have been like pushing A and M away and they don't want to schedule them? Traditionally, it's Texas. From what I've understood, has been pushing heavily behind the scenes, and obviously, you've kind of seen this emulate in terms of A and M's. So they flipped it publicly to where they make. It takes us look like they're the ones that, that don't want to play the game. Who you talk to, it goes one way or the other. But I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Interesting. Parker, you got anything to say on any of these topics? Man, I got nothing. I think I'm just about <clears throat> tapped out from our third recording, third attempted yeah. recording of this podcast. Let's hope this one eventually makes it to the stream. Right. Well, I hope so. But let me ask you this. So I talked to somebody tonight and again like i said yesterday a little bit and their response to me was they wouldn't even be shocked if it got to the point where the networks bought out all the contracts and texas and oklahoma were playing an sec and excuse me first off i know i sound nasally because i got a damn cold and it's driving me crazy so i apologize for that but they, I was told that there is a strong contingent of people, and not not just your normal people, people that are well equipped to know these type of things, and they believe that there's a possibility. And I don't know, I don't want to say it's a strong possibility or it's not a strong possibility. We'll just go with a possibility, a chance that. 
you could see Oklahoma and Texas playing a SEC schedule in 2022 because it's that far down the line. It's the networks want it that bad. And ESPN is going to play and is playing a major role in this. And this person posted to me that they're willing to throw out an inordinate amount of money to make this happen as quickly as possible because they know how much there is to gain from it in the long run with the advertising. They know it's going to cost billions of dollars because Oklahoma and Texas are a part of it. But they're going to make billions of dollars off of this as well. Well, and that's the thing is that there's a, there's a, there's a huge financial trade-off here. Yes. There's going to be a significant investment required if you want to get Oklahoma and Texas out of the Big 12 expediently and not have to worry about all the red tape that accompanies it. But the reality is that the SEC is going to make so much freaking money off of Oklahoma and Texas. Yep. I mean, they are they are going to have the market cornered in terms of... Well, it, you think about Clemson and Ohio State and Notre Dame, I suppose. But outside of those three, the SEC has every team that people want to watch on Saturday. Every single team. And so the SEC will have every primetime kick. I can promise you. The SEC is going... like This is as close to cornering the market in college football as we have ever seen. And so I guess it's not the most shocking thing that there is talk of the networks potentially buying out the contracts or potentially, yeah, buying out the contracts and then just getting this show on the road as soon as possible and having OU in Texas play SEC schedules as soon as next year. Um, shoot, from where I sit, I would just like to have all of this over with as quickly as possible because we know what's coming, right? It's inevitable. Yeah. And so uh, at the end of the day, the sooner this can all be finalized over and done with, the better off everybody is. And uh, with that in mind, uh, I hope this process goes quickly. Okay, real quickly. Colin, go ahead. Uh, well, okay. Here's what I was say. I look at this in two fronts, right? You turn talk about the process. So from what I understand, and either of you correct me if I'm wrong, if each team wanted to make this exit, each school would have to pay roughly 75 to $80 million to get out of the rights fees and then i thought it was 160 a piece left i've seen i think i saw chip brown throw out 75 to 80 million for the fees alone and then texas would have to spend roughly 150 million dollars to longhorn network right. longhorn network, network. that's espn paying themselves essentially right so then it would basically just be the university who has a ton of money just throwing cash at its new league member i'm pretty sure espn's deal with the sec makes it to where every school is making like 75 million dollars annually as it is that's that's what no no that's what it will be that's what i've heard that's the number i heard with ou in texas it will be every school is in upwards between 65 and 75 million dollars a year so they would television alone the buyout in year one like think about that Mm-hmm. Why not just do it? I mean, yes. Does it hurt to throw $75 million on the table right now? Absolutely. Is it going to be really funny when you get that check a year later, right back to the same dollar amount? Yes. You're going to be laughing the entire way to check cash in the thing. 
lot of the part of this is I look at the other side of the thing from the process standpoint. All these other Big 12 schools are actively trying to find other conference members. So this thing's ending. And yeah. want to know what you don't do in a bad breakup, you make it go longer than it needs to. And I don't see OU in Texas playing in the same conference for three more years with a bunch yeah. of schools and an administration that knows they're at and isn't happy about it. I just don't see that happening. And that's why for me, I totally buy 2022 to 2023 as a realistic timeline for this because from yeah. a money standpoint, it makes sense. And from a pretty bad burn bridge standpoint, this thing's over. So just make it happen. Okay. Just give me the year. What year do you think, Colin, that this is – what year is Oklahoma and Texas playing in a big – in a SEC schedule? I'll get. I'll guess 23, like to iron the okay. kinks out. I would guess the 23 slate. I'm with that. I'll say 23 as well. Yeah, that that's where I'm at too. But again, like I said, 22 has been thrown out to me. I never thought that that would be realistic until this person put it to me pretty bluntly. And I told you all what he said, you know, that this once they want to be over, the money is there. And I think the other interesting aspect of this is how does the big 12 handle Oklahoma and Texas on, on the field in competition? Do they try and screw over those programs? Like, are they stupid enough to undermine Oklahoma's chance at a national title this year because they're leaving? Like with just calls that could just completely screw over and change the whole complexion of a season. I don't think so. I don't think it's something to worry about. I mean, shoot. Yeah, I, I know, like right, we're, we're, right, we're, right, right, yeah. I feel like we're almost bordering on conspiracy theories. Yeah, at that yeah, point, but I mean, like, yeah, but it, shit, I mean, you never know, though. I mean, like, I, it is, a, it is a conspiracy theory. Rumor. I know that. Right, 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 right. No, I, I get that. I, somebody, somebody posed that question on the board, so I thought I would ask. It was an interesting topic, and people talked about it. I'm one that I don't think that they they would because I think that would just be idiotic, and you're looking at lawsuits because somebody would rat somebody out. Like money talks. The second you pay the person, they talk and is ratted. So I don't think that that would ever happen. But it's an interesting topic with everything that's gone down. That's why you kind of, if you're Oklahoma, outside of the deals and lawsuits that that can come with trying to get out of a contract early, like Oklahoma and Texas were doing, that's also another reason why they probably kept it under wraps. They didn't want to jeopardize the momentum they have going into the 2021 football season. I mean that that's another given. That's a, and, and it's not just from a ref or an administrative aspect, from a team aspect. I mean that's a distraction. It's a distraction. This whole thing is a distraction. So that's why you kind of wanted to get over with before the season starts. If everything's settled, the contracts are signed. Oklahoma's out of the Big Twelve in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three. 
there's nothing that can be a distraction to the football team, right? Like you just go play the games at that point. The questions don't need to be asked. There's nothing to be asked at that point. Like, what are your thoughts on playing in the SEC? Like that's going to be asked one time by everybody and be done with after that. Mm. But if it's left in limbo, there's a lot of different questions you can ask every week and, 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 and it can be a, a distraction to a team. Just don't drag it out. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That that's, that's where this whole thing needs to be. It, it needs to be settled now. I'm reminded. I'm reminded of that scene from Moneyball where Brad Pitt asked Jonah Hill, would you rather take a bullet to the head or five to the chest and bleed to death? A bullet to the head. Yeah. So just get it over with. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So anyways, all right. Well, uh, outside of, <laughs> Robert Allen's uh, report on, uh, I guess Oklahoma state and the big 10 are talking. There's not a lot of in TCU and uh, Texas tech to the PAC 12. Maybe what is it, Robert? Because Thursday it was OU to, or Oklahoma state to the PAC 12. Was that it? Or no, he was talking Oklahoma state to the sec. So yeah, make up was... your mind, homie. Her homie, her. <laughs> You see what I did there? Okay. I do see what you did. I wasn't going to do it, but (laughs) anyways. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this OU insider emergency podcast covering the sec. Uh, We're going to have more stuff on the board tomorrow discussing. Obviously we're looking towards the official letter of departure coming from Oklahoma and Texas on Monday, which would be as you guys are listening to this would be today. So if that's happened, congratulations. to OU and Texas fans, you're headed to the sec uh, that will get the ball moving a lot quicker uh, in that aspect. Uh, but we're going to have more on OU insider VIP myself, Parker, Colin, Joey, Brian Bishop, are. uh, publisher he's he's really dialed in with a lot of things that go on there so he's been a big help with all this uh and we're gonna have you covered head to toe on that there's a big recruiting weekend coming up uh this weekend for oklahoma a lot of big visitors coming in uh whether they're committed or uncommitted in the 2022 2023 and 2024 classes um and then obviously kickoff fall practice is about to start in about 10 days now, I believe, right? 10, 11 days from now. Yep. And, uh, yep. And so we're going to have that covered head to toe. And because of that, and because of the conference realignment and all that stuff that's going on, we've extended that 50% off on OU Insider. And we've had, I think we're sitting at like 115, 120 new signups this month already. Uh, and that was majority was that wasn't people signed up without the, uh, the, the, the discount. So make sure you guys get a hold of that discount. Uh, cause it will end on August the 4th, um, 50% off is going to get you all the way through the month of July. If you sign up now of 2022, that means you're going to get the 2021 football season. You're going to get the uh, playoffs. You're going to get national signing day in December and February. You're going to get all the junior days that follow that, all the big official visits during the 2021 season. You're going to get all the recruiting coverage, all the insider team notes during fall practice that we will have 
Parker, myself, Colin. We will have you covered with insider notes on practices, what we're hearing, who the standouts are, who's playing what position, talk about injuries every now and then. Uh, We try to steer away from that as much as possible. But if we have to, we put that out there every now and then for you guys. Um, And then we're going to have you covered with recruiting head to toe. Obviously, we'll be out there at games. We'll be at uh, camps that practices, everything. We're going to have recruiting coverage. I've got some... 2023 uh, Luke has four-star tight end Luke has and five-star DB Gentry Williams notes coming for the board here in the next couple of days. Got to see them today. Uh, going to have uh, more realignment notes that we're going to talk about on OU Insider VIP. Parker's going to have his notes coming recruiting. Colin will have his notes coming in recruiting this week. Uh, they'll have team notes as well. Uh, and you're going to be, if you sign up again, like I said, you're going to have it all the way till the month of July, 50% off, which means for $53, it's normally 107 bucks. So a little over $53, you're going to get $107 worth in value. And that means you're going to get to go on whatever 247 site you want and read their VIP stuff and have access and banter with other programs too, 24-7. That's why we call it 24-7 Sports, because you will get it 24-7, news notes, all day, every day, chats with me, ask Colin, Parker questions on the board, myself, we answer them. We don't answer a lot of stuff on Twitter because of we, we have members, and those members get first access to all the insider questions that people ask. So if you want to ask those questions, come to our board, read our notes, ask us questions, we will answer those for you. You'll be able to cover next spring game all the recruiting going into the 2023 classes which is going to be massive i'm talking full of five stars this class could be special for oklahoma so including the 2022 class looks like it could be quite special down the stretch as well so be sure you're on ou insider if you don't want to do a whole year one dollar for the first month you can try us out if you don't want it you can cancel that out and you won't get charged 9.95 per month after that and you can cancel at any time if you go month to month. But I challenge you guys, just come check us out. Give us a chance. We've quadrupled in size since 2018. It's a big thousands and thousands and thousands of OU fans are on OU Insider VIP. And the board is hopping 24-7. Come to OUinsider.com. Give us a chance. We'd love to have you. Introduce yourselves. Uh, so that's going to do it for this podcast. For Colin Kennedy, Parker Thune. My name is Brandon Drum. Thank you so much for listening to the OU Insider Under the Visor Soonish podcast. You all have a blessed day.